Hey everybody, welcome back to The Underground. This is episode 52. I am running solo this week because Joseph is with family, and we're going to do things just a little bit different. Uh, last week, I was introduced to an article that was written on Mises.org that I highly recommend that you guys go and read for yourself. Uh, it's called The Conscientious Objector. It's written by Natalie F. Dan Alition. Sorry, Natalie, uh, for possibly uh, <laughs> mispronouncing your name. This was uh, an article that was written on uh, September 19th 2019, so long before the current Branch Covidian regime was in power. Nonetheless, it is still applicable to today. Uh, I always hate when people say that something is uh, more, uh, you know, what is it, more relevant than ever, or whatever. It's, uh, it's kind of dumb because, you know, it was just as relevant when, the, when it was written as it is now. It's just that the circumstances might be different or you may have to change a few things. And Natalie herself has said that she's going to uh, write a follow-up to this, considering everything that's been going on in the world as of late. So, uh, I'm going to take a few minutes to read this, and then I've written uh, a small essay, some small paragraphs, uh, just with my thoughts. Not uh, so much about the article itself, uh, but points about the article that are uh, relevant to today. And then we'll get out of here. So it's not going to be a long episode this week. Um, neither is Thursdays. This felt like a, a proper time to do this, and I enjoyed going through um, the last article uh, that Joseph and I did together. So I thought uh, doing something like this was a, a good substitute for giving you guys... Uh, updates on the news and Joseph and I deconstructing uh, the things that we find. Uh, but we'll be back to that next week, so don't worry. Um, and let me know what you think of this. So let me just go ahead and get into this. Um, by the way, all of the note, uh, the uh, sources for this stuff will be in the notes, or in the show notes for this episode. And, uh, you know, Joseph's not here to give you guys the normal rundown of everything so just uh thank you guys so much for all of your support everybody that's listening the people that i know the people that joseph knows the people who have found us just through youtube or whatever the case may be uh thank you guys so much for that so let's jump into this uh this article because liberty is so fragile its true defender recognizes that war is its great uh its greatest enemy and therefore, the true patriot is often the courageous individual who opposes a particular war because he recognizes that it is unjust, that it would be fought for the wrong purpose, or that the risk of loss of liberty is greater than any benefit to be gained by the war. If we have freedom, are we not responsible for what we do and what we fail to do? History is littered with stories about valor and bravery on the battlefield. Men who went off to war, who fought and died. But what about the men who refused to fight? 
the World War II draft operated between 1940 and 1946 and inducted some 10 million men into forced military service. Of those 10 million men, approximately 72,000 were conscientious objectors, of which 25,000 re-entered the military in non-combatant roles. Another 12,000 went into civilian work camps, and as Robert Higgs pointed out in the book The Cost of War, the government also imprisoned nearly 6,000 conscientious objectors, three-fourths of them Jehovah's Witnesses who would not comply with the service requirements of the draft laws. One of those American conscientious objectors was Desmond Doss. During World War II, he refused to carry a weapon and kill the enemy. Despite this, he is credited with saving 75 of his fellow soldiers during the Battle of Okinawa. To this day, he's the only conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor for his actions on the battlefield. France Jagenslater, who was not as lucky as Desmond Doss, he was an Austrian conscientious objector during World War II who refused to fight for Nazi Germany. On February 23, 1943, he was drafted to serve, and on March 1, 1943, upon entering into the Wehrmacht garrison, he declared his conscientious objector status and offered to serve as a paramedic instead. His offer to serve as a paramedic was ignored, and he was arrested and later killed, refusing to fight for Hitler. He left behind a wife and and three children. These were men who dared to say no to war and murder. And these are just two examples out of thousands of men during that war. Why did these men oppose war? People may profit from studying their examples. For as Lou Rockwell once pointed out, we don't oppose the state's war because they'll be counterproductive or overextend the state's forces. We oppose them because mass murder based on lies can never be morally acceptable. So we don't beg for scraps from the imperial table. And we don't seek a seat at that table. We want to knock the table over. Conscientious objectors refused to be pawns and knew that war was morally unacceptable, with some paying the ultimate price. Sadly, there is a case to be made that these conscientious objectors were the only ones who truly did their job and upheld their oath. For all members of the military are instructed. They have a duty to obey all lawful orders. And conversely, they also have a duty to disobey unlawful orders. This principle is embedded in the precedent of the Nuremberg trials where Nazi war criminals invoked the just following superiors orders defense and were nevertheless found guilty as the orders were found to be illegal. It is worth nothing at this point that illegal orders can happen at any time, wartime or peacetime, civilian or military. Does conscientious objection relate only to war and military personnel? Or are there other circumstances to which this term may be applied? I contend that the conscientious objection can and should apply to a variety of circumstances other than war. For example, whenever morality and ethics are at play, objections based on one's conscience may arise in numerous and more mundane circumstances. The world would be a much better place if the principles of conscientious objections were more universally applied and daily. Consider this. The category of human action can refer to either an action or an inaction. Both actions and inactions potentially have value, as Ludwig von Mises noted, for to do nothing and to be idle are also action. They too determine the course of events. Let's ask ourselves, is patriotism defined as blind obedience to government authority? Can saying no be more heroic than saying yes when your conscience tells you it's wrong that the government requires innocent blood on your hands? As the Afghanistan war enters its 18th year, it's long past time we reconsider the examples set by those who conscientiously objected to war. In the words of the late Justin Romando, we have to show the American people that war is not patriotic. 
Okay, here were my thoughts. I want to start by speaking to anyone who served in the military. I don't want you all to believe that because I and many others are anti-war, that we have any disdain for the people who serve. That has to be taken on a case-by-case basis, as all things do. Also, it's not just military leadership who would have to account for past atrocities when it comes to things like Afghanistan. Washington and every president in my lifetime hold blame for the loss of innocent life. I hope to one day have open dialogue with those who serve so that we can all seek to first understand and then be understood. Not to mention, I have friends who have served, and I care for all of them. Here we are, almost two years after Natalie wrote this piece. The Democrats and Republicans seem to be fully on board, forcing us into this brave new world. Mandates, lockdowns, and fear-mongering for all, many people are still in denial that the majority of the House and Senate are involved with this. Trump, too. Have you seen him get booed when he talks about the punch? The corporate press is playing cover for the current administration, and everyone is distracted by race-baiting and the Constitution. Just to be clear, race-baiting is bad, and this isn't to say the Constitution is worthless, but it is clear that the people in power could care less about it. Screaming on social media about it is pointless. You are better off attempting to live by it than convince Washington it's worthwhile at this point. All we have left as citizens is to object. Unfortunately, this will come at a price. It may not be death like the men mentioned in the article, but there could be other things. There may be areas of the U.S. that are no longer friendly to those who object the punch. You may not be able to hold some jobs, go to certain churches. There's a solution, but I don't think most Americans are ready to have a mature discussion about national divorce. Joseph and I have no issue with people who have made a different decision when it comes to the jab. We've said many times on the show that it's your individual choice to receive it or not. Skepticism was the main factor for me at the start, but when we began to see Canada, Australia, and parts of the U.S., looking at you, New York, attempt to force people into taking it, I went from a skeptic to an objector. I could care less what the newest talking point from the experts is. All I can see around me is the consolidation of power by governments who claim to work for the people attempting to make them their serfs. Remember when it was just a conspiracy theory that people would be put in COVID camps? Remember two weeks to slow the spread? Remember when they told us the jab would keep you from catching the bug? I know some people are probably never going to listen when anyone else says the government is not your friend, ally, or savior. That in fact, they could care less about you and will never hold themselves accountable for their mistakes. Desmond Doss and Franz Jagenslaughter are great examples. Both men opposite sides of World War II faced the decision to kill for their empires or object. They said no and both paid a price for it. I was never taught about these men in school. I imagine teaching about conscientious objectors in grade school probably isn't something the government wanted. I wonder though, why their stories never made it into Christian circles. Franz Jagenslaughter was Catholic, and Desmond Doss was Seventh-day Adventist. Sure, they aren't traditional Protestants, but the point still stands. Should the church not regard such men as examples of sacrifices that come with making a decision based on faith rather than what the state may force you to do? Is it not our goal as Christians to spread the gospel through the promotion of peace? I hope that everyone who hears this can understand that I don't stand against the current regime's attempts to subjugate its citizens lightly. This is a conclusion that's been growing in my mind since the start of 2020. It's fundamentally changed my worldview. I no longer look to many leaders I once did because of their blindness on this subject. I won't back down or be intimidated. Joseph and I will continue to call out the state, churches, 
Hollywood, and any other body that feels the need to bribe, coerce, or guilt me into something I have no desire to do. Let me leave you with some lines from a letter written by J.R.R. Tolkien to his son on November 29th, 1943. The link to the full letter will be in the show notes. My political opinions lean more and more towards anarchy. Philosophically understood, meaning abolition of control, not whiskered men with bombs. If we could get back to personal names, it would do a lot of good. Government is an abstract noun, meaning the art and process of governing, and it should be an offense to write it with a capital G, or so as to refer to people. If people were in the habit of referring to King George's council as Winston and his gang, it would go a long way to clearing thought and reducing the frightful landslide into theocracy. Anyway, the proper study of man is anything but man, and the most improper job of any man, even saints, who at any rate were at least unwilling to take it on, is bossing other men. Not one in a million is fit for it, and least of all those who seek the opportunity. But the special horror of the present world is that the whole damn thing is in one bag. There is nowhere to fly to, there is only one bright spot, and that is the growing habit of disgruntled men of dynamiting factories and power stations. I hope that, encouraged now as patriotism, may remain a habit, but it won't do any good if it is not universal. Well, cheers, and all that to you, dearest son. We were born in a dark age, out of due time, but there is this comfort. Otherwise, we should not know or so much love what we do love. I imagine the fish out of water is the only fish to have an inkling of water. Also, we still have small swords to use. I will not bow before the iron crown, nor cast my own small golden scepter down. Have at the oars with winged words, war adders, biting darts, but make sure of the mark before shooting. This has been episode 52 of The Underground. We will be back on Thursday. Until then, take it easy.